You have probably received a parking ticket that you felt was unfair, but instead of fighting it, you paid the expensive price to get rid of it quickly. Fighting a parking ticket sounds like it would be so time-consuming that it would be a better decision to just pay for it. When Joshua Browder was faced with this situation, his response was different. He decided that there should be an automated solution to fighting parking tickets, and he made the user interface a chatbot. It is not obvious why a chatbot interface for fighting parking tickets makes sense, but in my discussion with Joshua, he explained that a chatbot interface is actually quite useful for a wide variety of legal services. The way that a lawyer interacts with a client is often so mechanistic as to be similar to a robot. This episode was a fascinating one, and it serves as a great follow-up to the recent shows on chatbots that we've done on Software Engineering Daily. Chat Ops with Jason Hand, Bot Day with Adana Salinas of The Women in Tech Show, and Slack Bots with Amir Shavat. Thanks again to O'Reilly for giving me a ticket to Bot Day last month. It really got me thinking about chatbots as an important user interface, and I hope this episode is inspirational to you as well. Joshua Browder is the creator of Do Not Pay, a robot lawyer service. Joshua, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks so much for having me. So you created a bot that can contest parking tickets in an automated way. That was the first product of Do Not Pay, your robot lawyer. Why would you do this? Well, the whole thing came about almost by accident. Uh, When I started driving in the UK and turned 18, I began to receive a large number of parking tickets. Admittedly, I wasn't the best driver. And because I couldn't afford to pay for these tickets or um, to get a lawyer to help me, I had to figure out the best ways why parking tickets in the UK are dismissed. And I trawled through hundreds of pages of government documents and I realized that this whole process could be automated. So I thought it would be such a cool side project to create a bot to do it automatically. When you contested the first ticket, before doing that, you had to go through all this documentation to figure out how you actually contest it. What are the steps that need to be proceeded through in order to make that submission of a ticket contest? Can you describe what you learned about how parking tickets are processed? Sure. So um, using the Freedom of Information Act, which exists both in the UK and the US, I figured out the top uh, 15 to 20 reasons why parking tickets are actually dismissed. Some of them include the parking bay being legally too small, there being problems with the signage, the car being stolen, all sorts of technical things like that. Once it knows one of these reasons, the bot will then take down a few details and then place these details into a generic letter which can be sent directly to the government. So typically you would have to write a letter and send it off, but the bot can do all of that for you. Are we supposed to need a lawyer to contest a parking ticket? It seems like something that should be built into the process of getting a ticket. I mean, when I get a ticket, I've seen that part of it where it says, here, you can contest the ticket if you do X. I never read it. I typically just pay the ticket because I don't want to spend the time. Um, I mean... Are we supposed to need a lawyer to do something like this to contest a parking ticket? Well, I think there are two issues. The first is that the government in New York City alone, they're making $800 million a year from parking tickets. So they have an incentive to make it as difficult as possible to appeal them. 
And secondly, I don't think we need a lawyer for very much these days. I mean, a lot of the law is actually just copying and pasting documents and going down a decision tree to decide what issue applies. So I think technology can actually replace a lot of lawyers. And that's my whole idea with do not pay. We'll get into that later on. But let's let's talk about parking tickets a little bit more. Do parking tickets actually help? Do they create an incentive structure that reduces traffic or congestion in a city or has any other positive benefits? I mean, I think there is some sort of disincentive to park illegally. Uh, We do need some sort of rules, otherwise people would just go crazy. However, I think the way it's set up at the moment where you have elderly people getting a $100 fine for making a small mistake scratching a permit, that's not disincentivizing anything. I think that's just taking advantage of the most vulnerable and using it to raise money for the government, which I think taxes are for. Right. So you describe parking tickets as having become this regressive tax that actually disproportionately affects elderly people, disabled people, economically disadvantaged people. Why is that? Talk about that a little bit more. I think city councils are getting less and less in tax revenue and grants from the federal government. And um, so it's become a business. I I can guarantee that across the country, uh, the person in charge of parking collections gets shouted at from maybe the city council for not raising enough revenue. And that creates a lot of pressure to create new rules that actually raise more money. Now the listeners probably have sufficient motivation for not wanting to pay their parking tickets. They understand this system is probably a little broken and bureaucratic and the incentives are in place to make you pay excess money so that the government can charge you a higher rent for parking. So now we can talk about do not pay, which allows people to contest a ticket in an automated fashion. What's the workflow like for somebody who wants to contest a ticket using do not pay, your robot lawyer chatbot service? Well, it's as simple as logging in to do not pay.co.uk, answering a few questions about your ticket. For example, was the parking bay too small? Filling in the details. And then in under 30 seconds, you have an entire um, 600 word letter stating all the relevant laws on why you shouldn't pay. And the good thing is, it's often in most jurisdictions, the government um, isn't the one deciding if your ticket should be dismissed. It's often some sort of judicial body like um, magistrates, for example. And so it's independent and it will likely get your ticket cancelled. Why is a chat interface useful for getting people to contest their parking tickets you could have built any kind of web interface you could have stood up a ruby on rails app and easily made a form for people to fill in what is useful about a chat interface well initially when i uh, had the idea for the website i thought it should be some sort of like you said uh, website or app but um It quickly became obvious that people are very inarticulate about describing their legal issues. So if you had a list of 15 defences, people would somehow think that their one wasn't on the list, even though they had a valid defence that was listed. So there are a million ways to say the parking bay was legally too small, but only one valid defence. So a bot is really good at translating all these number of ways of saying something and making it the correct way, if that makes sense. It does make sense, and this is what I think is such an important lesson from your product, uh, your project, I should say, 
um, I don't think you're making money on it at this point, um, is that you have really articulated so concisely why chatbots are useful. And I saw you at O'Reilly Bot Day. We were seeing all these presentations about how bots are built, certain uh, bot toolkits. But I thought your presentation really drove home this idea that chatbots are a new kind of interface and they can be extremely useful for particular types of applications. So let's talk about that more. Uh, And I guess, first of all, are there any other chatbots that you use on a regular basis that you think serve this, this functionality or fit within this functionality in a way that you appreciate as you know, really, really making sense for the chatbot interface? Well, I think there are several different use cases for chatbots. Um, I've been quite disappointed. I don't think we need a bot to order flowers or get some pizza. However, with that said, anything where an app would just be too burdensome to download, I think chatbots are great. Every day I use the Uber chatbot, but I even don't think that's the best example. I think the best use case for chatbots is for social good, where you can explain complicated bureaucratic or legal systems to the most vulnerable. But maybe I'm biased because that's what I'm doing. Well, you know, that brings up an interesting point because there are all kinds of complicated things in the world, not just the bureaucracies of our government. Um, You could talk about nutrition or fitness or really anything that you read in a book these days. Exactly. It doesn't just have to be the law, I think. There are so many areas. It's a gold rush at the moment that I think people aren't exploiting. So let's talk more about the roots of why this chat interface is useful. Um, How does, I mean, one thing that was interesting at Bot Day is there was a lot of talk about chat interfaces. And there was also talk about voice interfaces like Amazon Alexa or Google Now. And it was hard to delineate what is the line between these things, and are they the same thing? Have you thought about the chat interface versus the voice interface? Well, one of the most exciting things I'm doing is expanding to voice for my chatbot. And um, the reason I can do that is because a lot of it is along a decision tree. So a lot of the questions are yes, no. And it's very easy for Amazon Alexa to understand a yes or a no. But I think the biggest challenge with voice interface is accuracy. At the moment, um, if you type something into a computer, you're going to get 100% what you've typed in. But if you say something to Amazon Alexa, maybe it has a 95% success rate. And so I think the big leap from chat to voice will be when it goes from 95% to like 99.99%. At that point, I don't think there'll be any difference. I would much rather talk to something than spend time sitting at my computer typing. How do you think different chat interfaces or different voice interfaces, that's effectively the same thing, I agree with you, by the way, when this accuracy problem is solved, chat interfaces will be as useful as voice interfaces. Um, But how do you think the different chat interfaces will communicate with each other? Like in the past, we've had, you know, phone systems where it says, press one for customer service or press two for sales department or whatever. That is how you interface with a voice service. But you could see a future where you've got the quote super bot or the Alexa or the Google Now that is plugged into all these different other services. Maybe you could say, uh, Alexa, you know, start a conversation with do not pay or something like that. I don't know. Have you thought about how these chat interfaces might communicate with each other? 
Yes, I, I think that's a big area. So, um, for example, with do not pay, if uh, there's a language translation chatbot, it could communicate with my lawyer chatbot to expand it into 100 languages. Or if there's a, um, I, 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 I don't know, like, a, I, think chat, I, I think chatbots can really communicate with each other because everyone has this distinct functionality like language translation or law. But if you bring them together, then it's like this om, uh, like omnipotent human and it actually is amazing functionality. And they don't need some kind of specific API between them like JSON or something, right? They could just send text. Yeah, that's the most amazing thing. And I know IBM is investing really big in that sort of thing, in chatbots communicating with each other. It really is the ultimate middleware, the ultimate protocol, I think. It, it could be this. It could be really groundbreaking. Um, so let's talk about the engineering of Do Not Pay. What is Do Not Pay written in? So on the front end, it's JavaScript um, and... So on the, and then that on the back end that communicates with a Node.js server and a, like an AI scripting language, which is actually custom built. Um, it's very similar to AI ML, but it's unique. You have this back end in Node.js, and somehow this back end is communicating with government systems that allow you to submit forms to contest parking tickets. How does that connection work? Well, on the one hand, the government is really terrible at technology and making sort of APIs available. As you said, it should really just be on the government form, but failing that, an API should be available. However, none of that's the case. So in the jurisdictions where it does actually submit the appeal for you, it has to do so either through sort of web scraping or um, just by email. Sometimes they have an email submission. And um, I think that the government could really get better at that sort of thing. But on the other hand, they don't do the opposite, like with captures and stuff. So it's actually very easy. Uh, okay. C can you explain it in more detail though? So like I, so my interface with the front end of do not pay and I answer all the questions it asks me, where were you parked? You know, uh, uh, what was the problem and so on. And it get collects all my information and it says, okay, great. I'm going to submit your parking ticket to the government. So like what happens there? So then uh, it will generate your appeal for you. And if it's possible in New York City, it's not, for example, it will send it to the government. And uh, there are 50 via email or via sort of like web, uh, web scraping. Every, in the UK, we have these like 52 local councils. Some of them don't even have a website to submit your appeal. You have to mail the appeal in. Others do, but it's not possible. And some... Um, allow you to do it via web scraping what do you mean send it via web scraping so they have an online form and you can auto populate the form from do not got pay. it got it okay and so the email so, so is the government just starting to get tons of email from like uh submission or like submissions at do not pay dot dot co dot uk or like what's the what's the sender email address well i don't want to like uh reveal that um how, oh, okay. however um so you do have to have a valid ticket number to use Do Not Pay, so that cuts out the spam. Uh, On the other hand, when the site launched, uh, one council in the UK, Camden Council in London, um, went from taking about 10 days to deal with parking appeals to eight weeks because they got so many from my website. So at Bot Day, there were all these presentations about tools, and you just said that you built everything out of just raw JavaScript and Node.js, 
Have you seen any tools that you would have used if they were around when you initially created Do Not Pay? Well, um, I think over the past few months, there have been so many tools coming out. Um, one of my favorite, which I'm really excited about, hasn't yet been released, is Automat. Um, on the other hand, when I started developing apps, I did apps before bots. I used lots of tools like Pass. And with these tools, you have to rely on someone else. Maybe they shut down, like Pass shut down when it was acquired by Facebook. And that led to lots of kind of stress among the developer community. So I'm a big fan of just building everything yourself and not relying on anyone. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, there was the Rethink DB stuff recently, which I guess is kind of different because it's more of an open source project. But people that invested in Rethink DB in terms of like building their project around it did so thinking there would be a company around it. So I don't know. It's, I, it's an interesting question, even with open source technology. Um, so when I send a message to the do not pay bot, is there any other kind of processing going on in the back end? Are you doing anything like, are you storing what people are saying so you can get a better understanding of, of things over time? Are you doing any monitoring or analytics? So the uh, biggest challenge for the robot is NLP, and that's where all of that comes in. So before it actually gets to the scripting language, it goes through classification to get to the node of the scripting language. So initially, I had my own like very simple machine learning algorithm, Bayesian classification, whereby um, every response would be added to the database or like um, set of previous responses to base the model on. Um, that worked quite well. However, I've now experimented with IBM Watson um, NLC, which has improved my accuracy. Can you talk about that in more detail? So how does the bot keep track of the context of the conversation? It's not so much context. It's more individual um, chat uh, items. So, for example, in the scripting language I've programmed, if you say yes, it goes down the decision tree a certain way. However, the user can say anything to mean yes. And um, the uh, machine learning aspect comes from classifying what the user has said to translate it to yes. In relation to the context, the bot knows all the previous questions that have been asked. And so just, but the decision tree is static. The only machine learning aspect is the NLC. So the, for a, in a given state, I can say anything and and the bot has to classify that as one of a fixed number of valid responses. Okay, so like I was chatting with the bot, and it was it was cool because I didn't have to be really rigid in what I said to it. Like uh, I didn't, uh, yeah, I was able to say appeal ticket. I like I didn't necessarily have to say appeal my parking ticket. How so? Is this fuzzy matching? This is the the Watson stuff, I guess, or how, how do you do fuzzy matching? Exactly. So initially it was my own stuff, but now it's Watson and that's just completely improved my accuracy a lot. Mm. Is it a black box or do you kind of know how it's working? So I used to know how it's working when I did it myself, but Watson is basically a black box. They've been very kind and giving me lots of free credits to do oh. this. Oh, awesome. So after I said appeal ticket and the bot was asking me about where the ticket was issued. Then I decided to totally switch what I was talking to the robot lawyer about. So your do not pay also allows people to contest or or try to claim money for a flight being delayed. So in the UK, 
or maybe this also exists in America, if your flight is delayed by a certain amount of time, you can claim some compensation from the airline company, but the but contesting that or communicating with the airline company is really hard and similar to the government. Uh, or maybe you're making this claim to the government. Either way, the, the bot the bot is fulfilling a similar task to the parking ticket. And so when I when I the bot was halfway through appealing the parking ticket with me, I said my flight was delayed, and the bot completely switched switched context to talk about the flight being delayed. So I guess there are some phrases that it responds to regardless of what's going on, or I mean, what's going on in the back end? Could I have switched back and forth between appealing a parking ticket and my flight being delayed, appealing that? Or what was going on in the back end when I was when I was uh, messing with the bot and switching the context like that? Well, um, the beauty of this whole thing is it's like it feels like magic. Um, so on the decision tree, there are certain nodes that will trigger you to go down even further. So if you were answering the questions in a legitimate way, then that would just continue along the parking ticket angle. But um, obviously, that's not how people talk. People are very. Uh, kind of frivolous with their conversation and so i made it so that if you say certain phrases it will actually switch the conversation just as you experienced although i've noticed you are quite parsimonious with your conversation you are less than frivolous uh in terms of my conversation or uh yes or, or yes your your or the your conversation your conversation well and the bot of course but it's it's an endearing quality of you you are parsimonious with your words um uh, i'm not really sure what that means um <laughs> But I'll take it. <laughs> you have concise responses. Concise and effective. Few filler words. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Maybe the bot has uh, has taught you a thing or two. I, well, after scripting so many responses, maybe I've changed. Um, has the bot slowed down at all as you've added more functionality? Has the decision tree become more burdensome to traverse? Not really. I think the only issue is um, kind of distinguishing people always ask me why did why i didn't do keyword based a keyword based bot because it's so much easier than all ibm watson or machine learning bayesian classification and the reason i didn't is because as you as you add more areas to the law there are more areas for the bot to make a mistake for example if you were saying um, i was parking outside the bank and the bank overcharged me that's a issue to do with bank fees not parking so the bot has to make these subtle differences so the biggest problem is, as I expand to more areas of the law, identifying subtle differences like that. So at one point, I was talking to the bot, and the bot said, where did your flight go? Because uh, it was asking me you know, about these, this flight that was supposedly delayed, and I was going to get some compensation for that. And so after I said, where did your flight, or after the bot said, was asking me where my flight went, I said, who knows? And the bot interpreted that as a location. Uh, and then it asked me where my flight departed from. And then I said, no, 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 go back. I didn't mean to say that. And then the bot interpreted that as another location. Uh, so how do you deal with, with that kind of thing? Like, Because that's an example of a user-level input where the bot was expecting me to give locations, which I imagine are there's such a wide array of strings that would qualify as a location that it's understandable that the bot would be confused when i said who knows like it was a, like it could have been a location but how do you disambiguate that that seems like a hard problem 
It really is. Um, I think that when you're filling out a form and you're on the form, it says, what, where did your flight depart from? And you wrote, who knows on the form? <laughs> that would be kind of a silly thing to do. I think similarly with a bot, I mean, I'm just trying to get 90% of the cases. And <laughs> okay. if the user enters something wrong, then luckily the bot will tell them at the end and it will be as a variable within the letter. So hopefully they can realize um, I mean, some things are impossible tasks. So if you have any recommendations for that, um, that would be great. But I unfortunately haven't figured that one out yet. Uh, is there Are there any other themes that feel insurmountable right now in the conversational interface? I think um, there are so many, but uh, I, I just can't think of any at the moment. But there, there are so many like that. I'm sure you can name a few from your experiences. Well, not, I don't know. Nothing's coming to mind right now, but I, I mean, that that type of thing where you, where it can't interpret who knows as not being a location uh, seems like a canonical type of thing. I'm sure there's plenty more. The, the bot kept asking me questions, and it had this human element. Like, it would say, sorry for all the questions. And this is actually pretty important, and this was a theme at Bot Day where you want to inject your bot with some element of humanity. Why is this important? <clears throat> well, I think the fundamental thing, there are two reasons. The first is uh, I want to actually replace lawyers. And by calling it a robot lawyer, I want to make it as close as an experience to what a real lawyer would say. But second of all, I want to actually make it fun. I think if you, when eventually you're talking to Amazon Alexa about appealing your parking ticket, I think that's so cool and um, something like it's almost an incentive to get a parking ticket. I think bots are such a novel experience that if you can inject this human element and make it fun, then it actually creates an experience which should be negative and makes it positive. Can you measure drop-off and other kinds of statistics? How do you know if somebody had an unsuccessful experience with Do Not Pay? Yeah, as you said, drop-off is a big problem. I also track the ticket numbers. So I measure both people dropping off from the site and people being unsuccessful with their appeals. And those are my two main metrics. Do you write automated tests for the, the robot lawyer or do you just look at the results of people who have had differing experiences? Well, there are some. there is some automation in the sense that... Uh, so first of all, there's automation on checking the ticket numbers. And second of all, there's automation in um, whenever the bot completely can't understand what the user is saying. It um, incorporates that in the back end into some sort of like graph where you can see different keywords that are not being represented. And that's really useful for me in expanding functionality for the bot. The robot lawyer has gotten quite popular. What are the hosting fees like? The hosting fees are a lot, but it's surprisingly cheap to host a website for a large number of people. It's amazing. It always amazes me, technology. So it's actually just a couple hundred dollars a month. Yeah, it also seems like the type of application where you could potentially use serverless. I mean, I wouldn't want to make your job more complicated than it already is, but uh, it seems like the there is an amount of a degree of statelessness. I mean, you just have this one... Uh, session and that session would be mostly agnostic of uh, other sessions i don't know if you thought about that at all yes i'm doing something sim similar so it really isn't that expensive okay so i want to get into the discussion of lawyers more generally do you have 
a vendetta against lawyers because it's, I mean, you've said a couple times, I want to replace lawyers. These lawyers are totally useless. Um, did you have like a bad experience with lawyers? Well, the d- disclaimer is lots of lawyers have helped me with this and I saw not all lawyers um, are bad. However, a large number of them are charging huge amounts of money for copying and pasting documents. And I think that's just something that's perfect to be replaced. And um, so I think half half of lawyers are good, but the other half aren't doing very much. Do you th- is is the is there an upper bound on how many lawyers our world can support, or is it more that some lawyers just choose to do redundant work, or they choose to work in places where they're just collecting rents? Because it seems like I mean, there's so much improvement to be made to our legal system. It almost seems like an infinite amount of work, just sort of like engineering. Like we would never have, we would never say there's enough software engineers in the world. And similarly, it seemed like. If the lawyers were working efficiently, we would never have too many lawyers. Well, I think law is such a highly specialized industry that anyone who knows it well enough is a lawyer, and a lawyer has no incentive to understand and replace uh, the profession using technology. So it's this huge problem where only people who have been exposed to it by accident, like me, actually get in and create software. And I think that's why we haven't seen more legal software, and there could definitely be 100 times more. So do you think that the future of of legal work is good? Because so you you talk a lot about automating away lawyers. I don't think that's a very viable future. I think what will happen is the lawyers will get augmented. I mean, because this this is like a classic theme in in uh, futurism where people talk about tasks getting automated away versus complex work being augmented with technology. So why do you think the future is that lawyers get automated away rather than get their work augmented and made more efficient? Well, I think it's a combination of the two. I think a lot of lawyers um, will get completely automated. For example, someone dealing with like insurance claims, they can just, uh, a computer can produce documents and figure out the problem. Um, I think obviously compassion is a big aspect of the law and so bots can't argue in court. So unfortunately, there will be still a big place for lawyers in society. But with this uh, augmentation argument, I think it's quite funny actually. A lot of companies in AI work to sell enterprise to um, lawyers or bankers or whoever. And I think the way they pitch their software is that it will augment um, the jobs because their customers are the people they're trying to like replace. And so I think augmentation has actually played like a bigger role in thoughts than it should because of the marketing of these companies. Like several legal legal tech companies are working to sell to law firms. And of course, they can't be against the legal industry. So they have to come up with this augmentation narrative, which might not be true in the long run. Why wouldn't it be true? Because it seems like the law is so complicated. I mean, we see this microcosmically in terms of people arguing in front of the Supreme Court or whatever, but you could imagine a much more efficient legal system where things get contested more efficiently, maybe even the uh, judicial system, the the juries, uh, they're operating in a, in a world of more technology, and we just have, we just, you know, maybe voting gets more automated. You know, you could imagine a future where, uh, where all of this stuff moves faster because of technology and, and all of these things increase in speed and lockstep and maybe you have a legal system that has faster iteration cycles. Do you think that's possible? 
I definitely think so. I think there are two kind of empirical arguments why it will happen. The first is that in the UK, there was this robot judge that researchers, uh, I don't know if you've heard about this, where they put in all the human rights cases of the past 10 years, and it predicted the outcomes of those cases with like 90% accuracy. And I think that just shows how advanced the technology already is. And secondly, I think, you know, we have driverless cars coming on the roads. We have like missions to Mars being explored, things like that. And so why wouldn't it be possible to like automate a, a very information-based system, which is the law? In that future, does the task of a lawyer still look like this rent-taking, systematic copy-pasting or does it become more like the iteration cycles that a software engineer sees where a lawyer has to constantly keep up with the pace of the law and has to work with technology to augment him or herself to deal with this new legal system? Um, I think that it, I think it will be the second thing because if you just look at uh, taxi drivers, like in the UK, um, we have this test called the knowledge, which taxi, which is all the roads in the UK and taxi drivers spent years and years having to memorize the knowledge before they could pass their taxi driver exam. But now we just have Google Maps. And uh, so we still have the knowledge, but it's played a much less important role. And I think the same will be true for kind of lawyers. There'll definitely be a, sm uh, a number of lawyers where technology hasn't found a place to a, a way to replace but um, it will be much smaller. Can you talk more about that case of the robot judge? I had not heard of that. Sure. So um, UCL, um, one of the top universities in the UK, um, some researchers from there um, fed in human rights cases from the European, human, European Court of Human Rights for the past, I think, 10 years. And human rights is a very uh, gray area issue of the law. And it requires things like compassion, which supposedly an AI would be very terrible at um, deciding. However, I think I can't remember the exact statistic. I'm sure you can find it, but um, and I don't want to type. But the um, it predicted it with like 90% accuracy or 80% accuracy, which I just think is amazing. And it's not like parking tickets where you go down a static decision tree. It's truly uh, AI. Um, it was truly AI based, and it really worked well. So it had a huge corpus of labeled data, and it used 90% or something of that data to build a model, and then it used the last 10% to test against that model, and it was like 80 or 90% accurate? Yes, I've just got it here, 79% accuracy. And it didn't, wow. and it didn't even take um, like uh, variables from the court cases. It read the judgments and used the text of the judgments. And I think that just shows that how powerful it is because it, it didn't have any it, all it had was like thousands of words of text and then translated that into uh, successful decisions what you say about people feeling people believing that ai is inherently less compassionate than humans or compassion is not something that can be automated it's funny because uh i don't know if you read anything ray kurzweil says or watch anything he said but he actually believes the opposite, that AI will have higher dimensionality of empathy and compassion to what humans can achieve. And I mean, if you spend a lot of time interacting with humans, as most of us do, uh, empathy is not a natural 
thing. Like humans are actually, I feel like humans are actually terrible at empathy. Like speaking personally, I'm so bad at empathy. I'm so bad at think like, you know, putting myself in the, per- like, you know, I'm talking to you right now. I cannot put myself in your shoes. An AI could would be able to do that so much more efficiently because while it's conversing with you, it would simultaneously be able to reach into the depths of all of your past social media and your you know your public writings and your work and uh, empathy. From that point of view, seems like a much more automatable concept. Yes, I actually agree a lot with you and Ray Kurzweil. I think um, he has the benefit of being at Google where they have such advanced technology and AI systems. I'm just saying it will be harder to replace empathy and compassion. I don't think it can be done. I I don't think it can't be done. I think it will be done. But in terms of what I'm doing, it's very difficult. So AI, this is like the most unclear term uh, that exists in computer science right now. and this was clear at Bot Day. I don't know how many presentations you saw or people you talked to, but people would just say AI, and they would mean so many different things depending on what you're talk like talking about with them. Like maybe they're talking about machine learning, maybe they're talking about deep learning, maybe they're talking about a very procedural decision tree, uh, maybe they're talking about their Amazon Alexa. Um, what does that term mean for you, AI? I think there's a minimum standard which has to, has to be reached before you say AI. And, and um, I think that is where you're, the computer is adding previous responses and like dynamically changing some one of its models. And I think do not pay can very, very uh, is on the, like, on the border with this NLP stuff because it uses IBM Watson NLC. I think the decision tree doesn't classify as AI. Um, I think also it's been used a lot as a marketing term. Like IBM Watson is just a set of machine learning tools, but by creating this magical AI image, they've cr- like um, transcended all of the other machine learning tools. So I think it's marketing more than anything else. And I think the minimum standard is where a computer is like dynamically changing its model. As computer scientists, should we not use that term AI? I think... Uh, I, I say a lot of uh, terms here and there, and I, I really just focus on building products. Um, I don't think it matters really what type of words we use. Uh, people say it's irresponsible to call it a robot lawyer, but at the end of the day, it do- it's just words. As long as you're not um, doing something completely irresponsible and building a great product that doesn't mislead people, I think it's okay. So these tools that do fall under the umbrella of... AI development, you know, there's like, there's like better machine learning tooling, there's stuff like TensorFlow, and then these tools with Watson. So it's easier to get started with machine learning. And then there's also deep learning, which has been popularized and written about a lot lately, uh, which has made it more accessible in a sense. But most people talk about deep learning as being useful for classification problems, specifically, where you have a large data set and you can figure out the the structure or the patterns from that large data set. You don't have to specify the structure or patterns. Um, and then you also have this tooling around bots. You've got this improved stuff with NLP uh, and the platforms for building bots like Facebook Messenger. And you've got increasing public familiarity with chat interfaces. So are these things disjoint themes or do you see them as necessarily having overlap and what are the synergies between all these different areas i think the biggest synergy is over the past few years um 
it's gotten extremely easy to build these tools. Um, I think back in like 2004, if you wanted to create something like this, you'd have to do it entirely yourself. Now you have these black box systems like IBM Watson and uh, Google's open source TensorFlow um, where you can kind of build off, off on top of the work of other people. So I think all of these systems have kind of been brought up by this sort of open sourcing and um, black boxes which developers who aren't so knowledgeable can use. What are the opportunities for machine learning in your Do Not Pay system? Like if you had 10 great machine learning uh, researchers or engineers and you could snap your fingers and delegate them to specific projects on Do Not Pay, where would you assign them? Well, at the moment, I have to build a static decision tree for every area of the law I want to go into. But with machine learning, I could create a dynamic decision tree. So I would use that resource to create some sort of dynamic decision tree, which not only improves accuracy for the existing areas of the law, but can even understand new ones just on the basis of data and a training set. Okay, so one conclusion that we could draw from the results of Do Not Pay is that there are these certain tasks that are more automatable and systematic than we might anticipate from the outset. I mean, five or ten years ago, people would not have said, oh, yeah, I should be able to contest a parking ticket in an automated fashion. I think most people would not have said that. Do you have certain things in your life where you feel like there is a routine nature to what you're doing, like things that are not in the purview of do not pay, like like legal services, but just these routine things where you're like, this feels so systematic. It feels like I'm working in a patterned fashion, but you know, you maybe you wonder why it can't be automated, or you think like it's at the border of what could be automated. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you delineate the the what are the routines that we can automate versus those that we cannot. I think anything that's based on information and uh, decisions, it, it's very easy to automate. And now that you mention it, one of my favorite bots is one called Trim, which automatically goes and cancels your subscriptions. That is one of the most systematic and annoying things that I have to do every month with all my free trials and stuff like that. So anything that's sort of repetitive and based on information and decisions, a bot can really automate quite well, I think. Do you have any theories on the fundamental differences between humans and computers? That's a tough question. I think computers, um, I think humans are much more um, erratic with their decisions than computers. I think if you have a certain model and it's built very well, hopefully if you have the same inputs, it will come out with the same outputs all the time. I think humans, obviously, that won't be the case. So that sounds like a uh, disadvantage for the human, like just a flat out disadvantage. Like it's, so, so do you just think that humans are basically objectively inferior to computers? Well, I think humans, um, there are so many advantages like this trying uh, and being like erratic with your decisions. Sometimes luck is involved, so it might lead to the right outcome and then a realization. So I think it's like a beauty of being human that you don't necessarily have all the facts and make the perfect decision and then realize something that you wouldn't have realized had you not made it. That's very interesting. Yeah, I guess humans are better at reaching for those outliers, uh, those things that are at the borders of the uh, probability distribution of, of making sense. Yeah, I mean, for example, if someone like wants to buy a car and they put in all their like, income into a computer and the computer says you can't afford the car, 
that's like really a, a sad thing that you can't afford the car. But then if they were just deciding on their own, they could decide to get the car and have a lot of fun. So that's like an example, a very simple example. Okay. Um, <laughs> I want to talk more about... Um, that's a hilarious example. I, I want to talk more about the where you're going with Do Not Pay because you're expanding into these other areas uh, that are still these kind of systematic things of the law. Do you have a roadmap in your... And what's interesting is it's you have a very unconventional way of thinking about it. Like, I don't... In seeing your presentation at Bot Day, it seemed like you, you do not have profit on your mind at all at this point. Or, or maybe, like, is that the long game? Can you describe your vision for the business? Or is it a business? Well, I have the ultimate luxury in the world, which is being a student and uh, going back to my dorm and like having dorm food always available to me. And so that's so amazing that no one else has. So I think I should make the most of that advantage and keep it free because ultimately the product, there can be a, like a marginal difference in product, but if your product is fit free, people will love using it. So in the short term and in the long term, I'm not looking to charge for my service. If there are other ways to make money from it, then great. But right now I'm just focusing on building a product and expanding to as many areas of the law as possible. That's awesome. Um, what are what are the patterns in the things that you are expanding into and that you think are on the near horizon for what you could expand to as Do Not Pay expands into more legal services? Well, in the short term, I've got a huge number of consumer rights um, aspects coming up, especially for the UK and New York City, for example, um, insurance companies I mentioned earlier. But in the longer term, in the next few months, I'm creating a platform so that any developer, activist or lawyer can actually build a bot with no technical knowledge. And I think that's a very like hacky way to scale because rather than hiring people, I'm going to crowdsource small amounts of information from a large number of people to go from maybe half a dozen bots to a thousand. What kinds of tooling are you going to build? What does that look like? So basically any lawyer or charity can upload a document, specify variables within the, within the document, specify the questions that should be asked to get those variables. And then this backend system will automatically create a static decision tree. And then they will talk about some keywords for their bot. And then that will link into the IBM Watson NLC and be added to the do not pay um, site. That's beautiful. That's quite elegant. You ba So basically, your realization with do not pay is that these, these tasks like contesting a parking ticket or requesting that you get reimbursed for your delayed flight uh, or doing something simple with your insurance company. These can be represented as extremely static decision trees uh, and can be described by a domain expert, uh, such as a charity, that does not have any technical knowledge. Uh, and you can turn that into a chatbot. Yes, and I, I think I'm just one person. Why should I be deciding what areas it should work for? I think the people who should really be deciding are these industry experts like housing charities for homelessness, for example. Uh, but unfortunately, they don't have any technical knowledge. So hopefully this can bridge the gap between industry experts and technical um, ability. Are you open sourcing anything? At the moment, I'm not. And the only reason I'm not doing that is so people don't... Um, I was I watched the kind of Tay story with horror and um, I think if I open source it people will use some of my models for unethical 
bots, for example, bots to help people with taxes or uh, help, help people evade taxes or help people like gain illegal drugs or things like that. So I'm looking to take very much control at the beginning before like taking some risk and like making the model open. Hmm. Do, do you want to do that eventually? Yes. Okay. That's, so that's interesting. Can you talk, talk a bit more about your ethical framework there because it seems like the long term, I mean, this is a great idea. And if there is money to be made, uh, somebody will copy it somehow and make it accessible as a way to evade taxes. I'm surprised uh, you don't kind of just be the first mover and take the take the bad with the good. Well, I think, unfortunately, the same processes that can help people uh, do good things, like get out of their unfair parking ticket, apply to things that are um, bad, like, as we said, evading taxes. I think Do Not Pay has helped so many people and built up such a great brand as being like the Robin Hood of the internet. I really don't want to ruin it by helping people do things that aren't appropriate to do. So, I mean, on the longer term, once I, I'm just a kind of new startup. I've got no like advertising or PR. It's just me. I've got zero budget. So I'm, I'm not looking to create problems for myself. In the longer term, once it's established and hopefully there are a thousand bots, then I would happily open source it. But now I've only got half a dozen. If one of those bots becomes tax evasion, then that wouldn't be good. That's actually really smart because the stuff that has happened with Bitcoin, Bitcoin has this tarnished reputation at this point, basically for no good reason. Um, And I mean, it's kind of because it was unleashed into the wilds of the programmer community and a, a very small minority of people who are rapidly interested in Bitcoin are using it to buy drugs or do illegal gambling or whatever else. Um, and yet the public perception is, oh, Bitcoin, oh, it's this great way to buy drugs. Exactly. And uh, that's completely ruined it. Even among regulators, I think public opinion shapes a lot of regulations. And even though it doesn't make sense to re- regulate Bitcoin, I think the government has taken a much more proactive step because of its negative reputation. And I don't want the same to be true for, for my bot and bots in general. Um, Josh, this has been a stimulating conversation. I really enjoyed talking to you and uh, the future is bright. So uh, if there's somebody out there listening and maybe they know of a systematic process that is hurting the public and they want to help create a static decision tree to combat that process, where should they go? What should they do? Uh, so uh, in a few months, they can log into the Do Not Pay platform. But at the moment, I love like talking to users and responding to ideas. So feel free to tweet me at jbrowder1. Or alternatively, you can email me. My I respond to all my emails. It's just um, my email address is on my Twitter page. So just contact me. And then in a few months, I hope you can love using the Do Not Pay platform. Okay, Josh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much again. 